Good morning. You're listening to Drinking Socially, the official untapped podcast. Your inside look into what's happening in the untapped community and the world of beer. I'm John, and when I was working retail uh, on the retail side of beer, I would usually have a few older customers come in around this time of year and ask me what my box I had in stock. And I was always quick to escort them to the German section where we'd keep the bottles of beer that no one could pronounce. Um, <laughs> and they would share a story with me about how they were in Germany for a period of time in their life and they <laughs> fell in love with this style of beer. And some of them either were born and lived there and now lived in the States or traveled there. But there was a nostalgic part of this Maybach that I didn't understand. So I'm really excited to drink these with Harrison today and really happy to see some American brewers keeping up with tradition. And I'm Harrison. In the words of Justin Timberlake, it's going to be May. May box, that is, or rather my box, if we're maybe pronouncing it correctly. Um, that's what's on tap tonight. It's it's easy to argue why summer and fall are, are great drinking seasons, great times to have awesome uh, beer. But tonight we're going to make a case for why spring has some pretty exciting stuff to imbibe as well. And I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, this beer, this style of beer, rather, is one I really like. I'm so pumped to jump into two. I um, One I've never had and one it has been a little bit since I've had. But first, as a reminder, Drinking Socially is released every other Wednesday morning. It can be found at podcast.untap.com. Or wherever you listen to podcasts, of course. Of course. Uh, this brings us into what's become one of the, I think, more uh, human sides of the podcast. I've had great fun uh, just uh, kind of catching up with Harrison, especially during the last few episodes where we aren't really able to hang out. Uh, so, Harrison, mm-hmm. catching up with you over your last uh, since we recorded, uh, what's been going on? What you've been drinking? You get in anything kind of fun? Yeah, so really kind of the beer of the m- moment for me is uh, one that's new to our market, uh, Founders Pilsner. Uh, which is their spring seasonal. Grabbed a 15 pack of cans of that the other weekend, and it's it's fantastic. I really very similar to their PC Pills, which is there was a uh, previous spring seasonal for them, um, but this one is 100 American hops. Uh, I think it's it's fantastic. Um, it's just really drinkable. It's got great body to it. It's not like you know watery at all it's like this very nice kind of full-bodied pilsner that's crisp and refreshing and um it kind of almost turns like a pale ale a little bit too it kind of checks a lot of boxes for me so i keep i've had it a couple of times and each time i'm kind of liking it more and more it always reminds me of um one of my favorite times of the year uh that uh, uh in, re- in reference to founders where when it was pc pills was their their spring seasonal um there was like a week when uh, they transitioned from PC Pills to Mosaic Promise, their single hop uh, IPA that they do in the fall, you get like both of those beers in the store. And that would be like my time to just stock up on both because I love both of them. And it was kind of like you'd easily jump back and forth from the PC Pills to Mosaic Promise all night and kind of have two really different experiences that complement each other. So pumped that'll be Hopefully happening again as Mosaic Promise comes back in a little bit. But for now, I'm, I'm happy to say that I may have found my uh, my summer beer early, which is usually never happens. It usually takes almost the whole summer to find the beer I want to drink during the summer. But this year, I might be lucky. Um, yeah, it's been great. How about you, John? What, uh, what have you been uh, getting into on the beer side of things? 
Well, so I, I I fall victim of always wanting to try something new. I go to the same restaurant ten times, and I would want ten different items. Mm-hmm. Um, just for you know, for, for uh, and as I, I'm not able to go out and visit most of the bars like I usually do, I finally broke down. I had a a kegerator at home mm-hmm. that I used to use for home brews, and it had. Uh, like the whole setup for homebrew kegs yeah. and even put cold brew coffee in them for nice. a while. But I finally broke down and switched it over to a Sankey coupler. So I Ooh. bought a keg from a local brewery and uh, just kind of trying to remember what it was like to pour a beer on draft. <laughs> right. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that. Uh, that's probably going to be my summer beer. Yeah. That'll be about 50 pints. That should take me through at least to episode 12. Right. That's going to be amazing to have something you can. I remember we had three in our kitchen right after college and everybody was pretty amazing to walk downstairs and be able to pour a fresh pint of beer whenever you wanted. Um, it's uh it's a true treat. I'm jealous, John. That's a, uh, that's the way to go right now. That's, uh, that's fantastic. How about some news? There's been a lot going on. A pretty great week just finished up for us. Yeah, absolutely. American Craft Beer Week uh, just ended a couple of days ago, I guess, officially. We saw a lot of check-ins you know, to earn the badge for it on Untapped. One part that always makes me kind of proud or excited is to see people earning that badge overseas as well from some of the brewers that uh, do get a, a good amount of distribution. I I tried my best. You know, we're under kind of certain circumstances here, but uh, or at least as, as best as I could afford the the thing I felt that I could do most effective would just be to try and get a beer, a four pack from every local brewery to me, which there's more than I can afford. But, uh, but I try to keep the focus on local and uh, in, in just in doing that, I'm really looking forward to getting out and having a pint again soon. Uh, how about you, Harrison, anything particular, or any uh, good memories from American craft beer? Week? Yeah, sure. It's always a fun time. Really. I mean, that was, um, a great excuse for it always every year is a great excuse for breweries to get together and do a collaboration. And that happened with some social distancing built in this year. I saw a lot of breweries still kind of doing a collab brew or if they couldn't be there in person, you know, collaborating on a, uh, a recipe, some actually uh, of beers they'd done in the past, just kind of rebrewing it again since they already knew how to, to make it. So that's kind of what I always look for uh, this time of year is collaborations, whether they're reoccurring ones or ones that'll never happen again from really cool breweries. And I actually had one that's the beer that I, I believe I earned the, the badge on. I don't think it was brewed for American Craft Beer Week, although these breweries have collaborated on this beer before. It's called Own Benefactor from Burial, and it was brewed by Carton and Burial uh, as a collab. Uh, so yeah, two kind of heavyweights there and if you didn't see it yet um augie carton you know the founder of, of carton brewing he was on sessionable saturdays on untap tv uh obviously a huge beer guy but a fascinating conversation he's pretty pretty intense dude has tons of stories um but yeah i always enjoyed i always enjoyed their brews and it's kind of like they as they worded on the can it's um the combination of each brewery's favorite kind of IPA in one. So it's finished with Kolsch yeast. Augie was a big proponent of using Kolsch yeast and IPAs kind of was the, one of the first breweries ever do that. Um, and that was a, a big thing to do for a while when I was first just getting started. Um, and yeah, I enjoyed the heck out of that when I had it to kick off 
America Beer Week. I'll just kind of be keeping my eye out for other collaborations that either were brewed during that beer week or going to be available soon. Um, so uh, if you haven't found me on Untapped, uh, go ahead and, and do so and follow that uh, that feed along, and we'll see what uh, what I discover out there. You can find Harrison or myself uh, by looking at the show notes for this or any episode if you feel like adding some new untapped friends. And great callback to the Augie Carton interview. I'll claim ignorance here. I wasn't aware he was such a a culinarian or, or super taster, but hearing him talk about ingredients was like listening to a chef uh, talk about a year in Spain. It was amazing. Um, so let's get to the next segment for uh, Drinking Socially, episode 11. I'm really excited. This is a beer I've never checked in from a pretty celebrated North Carolina brewery. Uh, goes by the name of Red Oak. And we're focusing on my box or may box depending on your uh, pronunciation uh Hofra house lays claim to kind of the originator for this style the one we're about to drink 1516 is made in white set north carolina by red oak who uh, harrison will be able to fill us in a little bit more on their procedures but a very traditional germanic style brew house right here in north carolina yeah they do some amazing stuff and 1516, which is their, their Maybach or Hellerbach, which are pretty interchangeable terms. There it is. John's got one right there in his hand, and I'll, I have mine as well. Um, we're going to pop them open. Um, clock's in at about 7%, ABV, 22 IBUs. Uh, and the notes on this beer, um, Red Oaks 1516 Hellerbach, appealing to connoisseurs of exceptional beers, is a strong, full-bodied, smooth beer, uh, golden in color, Brewed according to the Bavarian 1516 law of purity. And they're really not joking. Um, something, if you guys don't know about Red Oak, that they're really well known for is they everything they brew, they brew kind of naturally, meaning they're not adding any additives or um, filtering things. They really just put uh, barley, malt, hops, and yeast into the beer. And even the carbonation is natural. They'll trap it in their fermenters from completely leaving um, the tanks and just using the actual uh, CO2 that the yeast is generating as it's also making alcohol to carbonate uh, their beers, which is really cool. And it gives them a, a really fantastic mouthfeel. That's what I love about pretty much every single Red Oak beer I've had is they're really smooth. Um, uh, just very smooth uh, because of that. You're getting kind of tons of body and, and natural. Like, you can't fake natural carbonation uh, compared to forced carbonation. So let's uh, enough talking about it. Let's uh, let's let's drink this thing. John, what are you what are you pulling up? What are you pulling up there? Um, so those of you that might be watching the show on YouTube, we've got some photos from Untapped uh, on the Red Oaks fifteen sixteen page. Uh, this beer holds an average of 3.85 for a Maybach or, 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 or Palebach um, is the category on Untapped. And this puts 1516 as like the top one or two Maybachs uh, in terms of rating on Untapped. It's been checked in around 2,100 times. But a lot of that speaks to what Harrison was mentioning and how uh, Red Oak plays it so traditional. I remember trying to get their beer on my set in a retail uh setup and they were everything arrives refrigerated they mandate that you take it out of their shipping and put it into refrigeration right away they're very hands-on 
and in it and it shows there's such a cult following for that beer um but it's amazing too they're not they're i believe only in north carolina still um which is just it's unpasteurized it's unfiltered it's it's a beer that mandates you drink it close to the source and 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 the the nose on this as you take it in i mean i'm not augie carton um, but you get there's like a there's like a biscuity caramel that kind of uh, shows up right on the nose right away, which uh, I'm hoping uh, tells me that this is going to be not a cloying, but, a, you know, a sweet, drinkable uh, May beer. Mm. Yes. Right, John. Yeah, it's like honey in the front, and then that nice. There's a cracker. At the, then all of a sudden, it goes cracker, and then there's a pop, and that then that kind of hoppy fuzz at the end. This is great. This is really again. It's so cool to drink all their beers because the mouthfeel is so different than than as if if this was you know forced carbonate. Even if it was a low forced carbonation, it's just it just you know kind of velvety on the tongue there, um, and this style for me is so fun. It's, you know, it's one that, right. It's not really sell it, but it doesn't have the following as like Oktoberfests or pumpkin beers or fresh hop beers, like all these other seasonals everybody knows about. Um, even Saison's have such a, we, you know, covered recently have such a tradition in, you know, seasonal brewing. Um, but this one, yeah, it, it doesn't get the, the acclaim and the attention, this style is it, I think it deserves. It's, Basically, just like a, a, a souped-up lager, if you will, that kind of by design box should be a little more um, alcoholic. Uh, my box should have um, a little more hop presence to it. And kind of everything you read about these beers, they're set up to be that bridge between kind of like the colder months and the warmer months of the year, which, of course, is what, what spring is all about. So kind of the, the higher ABV, it's a little bit colder out still, warms you up all the herbaceous hop character kind of invites those warm summer days to come of being outside and enjoying yourself. And it lives like in the middle of both those worlds. And it's really, really cool. I well described, uh, especially the three part tasting in the beginning, that honey biscuit, and then like a slight bitterness from the hops. It's incredibly smooth. Uh, you hit on it very well, the natural carbonation. It still tastes like you're drinking a beer, but you're not going to get a big frothy head. Um, hopefully you won't um, as you pour this right out of the right out of the bottle. It you kind of you alluded to it, Harrison, and I'm going to try and pick your brain. So it, a lot of us might be familiar with lagers being cold fermented and ales being warm and everything else. Uh, so a Bach fits in. It's it's generally viewed as a as a strong lager. But then again, if you look around, you can find a an eight percent lager, especially if you're in the American craft beer right. scene. You can find an eight percent tequila barrel mm-hmm. age lager if you look hard enough. Right. So, <laughs> can you help uh, me and everyone listening just kind of uh, surface level understand? Sure. Um, maybe how a Maybach is different than an Oktoberfest or how a Bach is different than a lager or are they closer than that? Right. Yeah. It's, yeah. So it's yeah, kind of a refresher where this conversation 
really begins is, you know, what are loggers and what aren't loggers? And the answer to that is, well, ales are not loggers. And really, those are the two kind of families of, of beers. You have loggers and then underneath that, a bunch of styles and ales underneath that, a bunch of styles. So when you're talking about a Bach, you're talking about a kind of lager that is traditionally um, made stronger than, um, say, a Hellas lager or an American light lager or a pale Euro lager or something like that. Um, and it, and then, um, most of them are darker. So you're thinking like a Doppelbach is usually a darker beer, even just a traditional Bach. Um, my box are not though. And so the reason for that kind of digging into the history of a little bit is that, um, the, the town of Einbeck in Germany is where my box originally kind of came from. Um, you're right, John, that Hofbrauhaus in Munich uh, is like where the, I guess the world kind of learned about them. Uh, but that was because the, that brewery was actually recreated because of my box, the kind of Royal family, uh, most notably Maximilian, the first, I believe, um, was tired of importing beer for bringing it down from Einbeck. So wanted to brew it there. And at the time only kind of darker or brown beer was being brewed in Munich. Um, so wanted to create a brewery that could actually kind of mimic this style, even went to Einbeck and got one of their brewers and brought them to Munich to make it there. And the reason Einbeck was making different beers was because they would air dry a lot of their malt. So instead of taking the barley and kilning it like you would at most breweries, kind of heating it up in an oven, basically, and changing the color. Uh, that way, they would air dry it, which made it paler, made it lighter in color. So instead of it being a really brown, dark beer, it looked much lighter. Um, and then Einbeck kind of became known for this quality of beer. It started kind of exporting it around Europe. And to make it last the trip, they would add more alcohol and then brew it up higher ABVs and add more hops to it. So it would make it there and still be a quality beer upon arrival. So that's why, again, kind of through necessity, this beer is, well, based on geography and the way they created the the, the malt or uh, uh, took care of the malt, it's lighter. It's got more booze to make the trip and it's it's got more... Uh, or I got a hop or aroma and, and character to help preserve it as well. And all that created this style of beer. We know as a Meinbach or a Hellerbach or a Hellesbach uh, and, and kind of, yeah, um, right. Munich took that and ran with it um, once they couldn't, couldn't get enough of it. And so uh, two questions that I want to ask. One of them is a, is a throwback to an epi- episode from season two you were telling a story about an ice box right. uh, that had gotten maybe a little bit too frozen. <laughs> so something like that, an ice box is effectively a cousin of this beer. If we're looking at beer styles, like a family yeah, tree. Exactly. I mean, the lager kind of side of that tree is much kind of smaller or shorter. If we're talking about trees, I guess, than, um, than the, the ale side of it where, yeah, you pretty much have, um, yeah, lager, yeah, box, um, of some variety. And then again, like Hellas lagers or Oktoberfest, so like a Mars and fest beers, um, things like that. But yeah, you're getting, um, yeah, very closely related. An ice box would be, as you discussed on that episode, um, even more alcoholic. A lot of that due to actually freezing the beer. Um, since alcohol is measured by volume, you take a lot of the water out by freezing it and you're going to get a more, alcoholic beer and i did have myself in an ice pick a nice conversation with an ice box back in the day in the dark of a bright tank 
um, that ended well, I guess, for everybody. I'm still here, and we drank the icebox. But um, but yeah, definitely closely related. Just going to be more diff- different, uh, more involved on the, I guess the the um, post uh, brew side of it after fermentation for an icebox than uh, a bock or a my bock would be. Is there um, a second question? Is there that you know of a reason? Every time I see a Bach beer tap handle or beer label, there is almost always a ram or a goat involved. Is that I always just assume, like, I guess I don't give it much of a thought other than if the, if Bach is in the name, there's right. a play on something's goats. Right. Goats are, goats right. are <laughs> not far behind. I know. And there is a reason. So again, we got kind of saying, so at Munich, this style of beer really started to take off and um, with a kind of Bavarian accent you have is living, living in Munich. If you're saying the beer from Einbeck, you're kind of pronouncing it as Einbach, which is German for a billy goat. And kind of that got kind of whittled down into just referring it to a, a box. So you're essentially saying goat in German, um, when you're, uh, you're asking for this beer. And that's why it kind of shows up on a lot of the, the labels, the beer we're going to have a little bit, sure enough, has one right on the top of it. And, Another quick story uh, that the goats kind of go beyond labels for some breweries. Sly Fox Brewing Company out in Pottstown, PA, um, every year would have a goat race, which is a really big festival. They do it early in May. You could bring your own goat. You have to register ahead of time um, and race in heats, um, kind of like the you know a, a derby race. Your goats and the goat that won the final heat. Uh, the name of that goat was what they named their Maybach. They were also tapping uh, that day. So, and I was fortunate enough uh, to, yeah, to be there. The, I think it was, it was either two years in a row or three years in a row or two years in a row. And then two years later, she won again, a goat called a three legged Billy goat called Peggy uh, one. So the Peggy Maybach, I've had that uh, many times in different years, but uh, she's quite the trooper. And it's just a fun day. There's a polka band. There's lots of, you know, sausages and tons of beer. Uh, some of my favorite kind of pint glasses that I own, uh, I got uh, got from that festival going there every year. So it's it's fun. It's a nice day to get outside and drink this beer. And maybe that's why I like it so much. I've had so many great goat race days in the mud, watching people slip around with their goats and listening to lots of accordion music. Uh, and and eating sausages, it's, it brings those memories back and those are all great things. It is, I suppose the style, uh, being named, uh, after the month of May and alluding to some kind of springtime festivals would mean that most people that have drank this beer, uh, probably uh, have memories that take them outside or to, uh, some sort of springtime event, Um, and another thing to kind of shed some light on in, uh, upcoming episodes, we want to try and take you through, uh, the process of turning water, barley, hops, and yeast into beer, uh, for a Maybach, we've already talked about the fact that this would use a lager yeast because it's part of that family. Um, any particular, the water I'd imagine if you're trying to be authentic, you go for like the water from Munich, but, um, what about the malt and or the hops, Harrison? Can we just assume since the hops are a little bit lower in flavor, this is probably just noble German hops, but anything in particular about the malts they might use to get the like honey sweetness? In right. There? So that I've talked about it before. It's one of my favorite 
uh, malts is victory malt, although it's very powerful, but it will give you that crackery flavor. But this is a most, you know, German beers are extremely straightforward. They use maybe one or two grains. This is probably mostly two row, um, just right, very light in color, two row pale malt, maybe some victory in there looking at it, uh, maybe some kind of crystal or, uh, caramel malt, but you could probably make it with almost a hundred percent two row and, and maybe just like a little bit of victory or some other kind of caramel malt there, but you don't want to get too much of it cause it's got to stay pale. And the, you know, the, we'll get into this later as John said, but the more specialty malt you add, you're going to kind of darken that beer up over time. Almost, almost universally. There are very few specialty malts that are going to be lighter than a base malt. So that contributes to the color over time. Um, so we'll, We'll definitely see some play on my box here uh, with the brewers that have that have opened up and taken hold in the states. When we were looking earlier at some of the top rated yeah. beers in the style on Untapped, uh, one of them that caught my eye and originally it seemed like a mistake was uh, a beer from Platform in Ohio called Peanut Butter Fudge Puff, <laughs> which pro- which probably goes goes against at least at least the 15, 16 purity <laughs> law. I don't believe peanut butter was included right. in that. Correct. Um, but it was made by a platform, and it was a it was a designed kind of twist on the classic mm. Uh, mm. Ins- inspiration of a Maybach. And I think that's just one thing that Harrison and I try and remind people of is that beer doesn't have to be a it is science uh, and it is art, but it doesn't have to be uh, very black and white by the book rules. A lot of the fun in craft is taking something traditional and applying you know some of your own art to it. Uh, I don't think we couldn't encourage you enough to uh, be home brewers yourselves. And as we kind of alluded to, I think coming up in the in the later in season three, we're going to try and make you more aware of how that's done. But transitioning from this delicious 1516 uh, Red Oak Maybach, let's cover some things on social media. Uh, first and foremost, uh, the last episode, we were talking about uh, cellaring beer. And uh, one of the things Harrison referenced it admittingly might have been minute because uh, we're talking about some really, really small calculations, but uh, it was a pretty big difference. And we were fortunate enough to have one of the listeners from New Zealand uh, actually wrote us and pointed that out. Um, Harrison, you'll understand it much better than I, but uh, do you, can you just spend a minute and just kind of elaborate on that just in kind of what happened or, or what it meant? Sure. Yes. Yeah. So we're kind of talking about the thresholds and, packaged beer and how much oxygen you do or don't want it. You really don't want much at all in there. Um, and I was saying, you know, that a nice kind of an easy benchmark is keeping it below uh, 500 parts per million. And what I should have said was parts per billion. So um, obviously million and billion, pretty big difference. Um, uh, you know, so um, it's just to be more specific there. Um, keeping things under 500 parts per million, though, is also very, very important, but not something to really be, be that, that'd be like, yeah, way, way more than than you want. Billions definitely the way to, to measure that. And it's how all the instruments we had uh, in the brewery were uh, for gases were set to parts per billion. Uh, yeast, though, you'd kind of measure in parts per million, just they're a little bit bigger than 
a molecule of uh, of oxygen. So it was easier to do it that way. Um, but yeah, so important to note um, that, yeah, that the kind of difference there and that you want to keep things under really under like kind of 200 or, or 150 parts per billion, if you can, of, of oxygen in um, in that actual um, uh, the beer itself. Now, the kind of bigger, I guess, point uh, I wanted to cover um, it's kind of like why, well, how is this auction getting in the beer in the first place? I think it's, it's worth noting that it's really difficult to, uh, to actually, um, to not get oxygen into the beer, uh, through all the steps, kind of that life of that beer takes before it gets your glass. Um, there are lots of opportunities for oxygen to kind of find its way in there. You actually inject it as a brewer. Most, most beers you'll add it right away after fermentation, um, yeast loves it. It helps yeast do their thing, wake up, eat a lot of, um, sugar and turn it into booze and, and CO2. So you can oxygenate beers in line as you're transferring them into the fermenter. So you're putting no oxygen into the beer. Uh, luckily though, a lot, most of that's displaced by CO2, uh, as it's being created and, and the beer is off gassing and kind of pushing all that oxygen that might be in there still out of the beer. But then if you're dry hopping a beer, if you're transferring it, dropping yeast, anytime you kind of open up the top of it to do something or agitate the beer, move move it, you have the opportunity of accidentally kind of pulling some oxygen into that beer from another source. And so you, there's just many steps along the brewing process where that can happen. Um, but really, all that matters is where it is when you're, you get it packaged. But you want to be very careful along the way, of course, to not... Um, introduce oxygen we don't need to so you don't have to deal with it later down the line so that's really um why you do it why you measure for it It, i mean it's going to help with shelf stability the less oxygen you have the better Um, but there are it's kind of a constant battle where you're always as a brewer that's something one of the many things you're anxious about is like all right let's transfer this thing correctly let's not agitate it too much as we're going to the tank so that it knocks some of the oxygen out of the suspension or creates too much foam, which creates other problems. So um, you're always kind of monitoring, um, monitoring that. And we have instruments to do so um, that measure in parts per billion. So thanks for, for grabbing that uh, for us that everyone knows at home and also gave us a cool opportunity to talk about it for a moment. And, uh, and just said a little bit more light into definitely an under talked about part of the brewing process of measuring oxygen in your beer. If you're listening, Greg, thanks for pointing that out, honestly. And uh, when we get to that point in the kind of beer 101 segments upcoming, uh, keep your eyes out for for, for a message from uh, John and Harrison at Drinking Socially. We'd love to have you on for the dissolved oxygen portion, which is not something I've ever even attempted to look at as a home brewer. I'm just happy if it makes it out of the closet alive. But um, that 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 it, it, I think it is important, especially if if you're learning from uh, these episodes uh, to get not only the correct information, but to have, you know, check, check different places. Everybody's going to tell you something slightly different, slightly different in most cases. Um, but that callback is from the previous episode 10, where we had uh, Jen Balick on the show talking about cellaring beer and drinking beer from a cellar. And how oxygen and light were a primary enemy of those aged beers. Cutting back to the social media side of this segment, 
Uh, Jared from the podcast group in Facebook posed a question that was getting a lot of attention in the group recently. Um, and I think there's just a quick reason to elaborate on it while I've got Harrison here in front of me. His question, I'm going to paraphrase, is... Um, this perplexes me in terms of listing and evaluating by style, but a lot of breweries local to me, to Jared, as this is, have been filling a 16-ounce crawler, um, which is a, a, a derivative of the growler, only it's a, it's, a, it's a literal beer can that you can fill off of the tap and seal right there at a, at a typical bar um, or growler shop or bottle shop. So typically they're served in a 32 ounce size, typically. And a lot of people have been going to a 16 ounce size. If you live alone and you're trying to bring a stout home, that's a lot easier. The question uh, Jared poises, what do you think? Am I checking into a crawler at a 16 ounce kind of uh, package option like that? Or should I check in and select that it was from a can? Uh, or am I just splitting hairs here? And I mean, while I think both are accurate i'm gonna ask harrison to uh to start and just give his opinion on a 16 ounce crawler can that was filled you know right there in front of you at the growler shop uh and how you think that in terms of like your check-in container size right. how that right. works that's a great question and it's new really all this is new i mean crawlers alone have been around for a couple of years um, so kind of what the rules or if you will, if we can call them that around them are pretty new and evolving kind of all the time. But I think you, you highlighted the most important part of this, John, is that, uh, it's being filled from a keg or maybe a serving tank. If you're at like a brewery, um, in front of you into a can. So that would, for me, is going to be a crowler, you know, any day of the week when you're taking something that's already been packaged by the brewery in another vessel, again, probably a keg and transferring it into just a smaller than usual crowler. To that point, you're, you know, you want to differentiate between if a brewery can something, that's a different process. Like we just talked about, they're going to be controlling for dissolved oxygen and things like that at that point where the person at tap, the tap, uh, pouring the beer from the tap isn't, um, but you're going to get, you know, um, uh, kind of more of a draft beer experience because it's not, can conditioned it's been uh carved and put in a keg so definitely i think appropriate i mean either way you're not wrong you are drinking from a can um but uh but i think it's probably more accurate and worth noting that it is a crowler you know the size at this point isn't the like the main factor if it's 32 ounces or 16 it's that it's being filled from a tap right in front of you um and that's what you want to kind of that's your taking home is a draft beer um that was again designed to be a draft beer uh, at the brewery itself. So um, that's how I see it. Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, but again, it's, it's all new. Crawlers are new, but I would say that's a crawler. Absolutely, Jared. If I fill it, fill it there, it's a crawler. Unless you're trying to level up your can badge, in that case, you know, right. Uh, <laughs> and I think the more interesting, um, like the more interesting note about this is is like the why behind it. I mean, there's a reason, uh, so many reasons, right? Like um, maybe that brewery doesn't, or that bottle shop doesn't have enough room to store 32 ounce crawlers. They can fit twice as many 16 ounce crawlers in that same space. Great. I mean, usually this doesn't come up because if you're at a brewery or a bottle shop, they already have cans there. 
Um, so the crowler is a different experience. It's two cans in one to share with a friend, that sort of thing. But kind of in the day and age we're living in, uh, it could also just be a shortage of crowlers itself. Whereas there are no more crowlers that we got a bunch of 16 ounce cans. Will that work? So it might be out of necessity. It might be kind of the changing world, but that's kind of the more, the, the, when I read this, my brain kind of asked, I wonder why it could be also as simple as. Let's. I'd rather sell someone a four pack of four different beers that my customers like sample and stuff. That's going to be more interesting to them than two crowlers uh, that take up the same kind of volume. So I have no idea. Of course, that point. You know, I I think I totally agree with that. We talked. Uh, it seems like forever ago about uh, bombers and twenty two ounce beers and seven fifty mil. You know, big bottle beers where that's how you would get your unique seasonal. Uh, really hard to find beers, even in the whales episode, um, where now it's 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 just as common. I'm excited to think about uh, Dark Lord being released in 16 ounce cans, or uh, when uh, Dogfish Head and Boston Beer kind of uh, joined forces. There, they're talking about doing Utopias aged in worldwide barrels or, or worldwide aged in utopias barrels in a four pack. And I much prefer to uh, be able to control how much I have to drink rather than open up a 32 ounce barrel aged 12% good night. Although I'll take it if I have to, but um, <laughs> last Last announcement from me on social media updates, a uh, pretty big one from Untapped. We've been trying to drink beer with everyone that listens to the podcast for about a year now, and we're getting pretty close. In the middle of June, Untapped is going to host its first virtual festival. It's focused here in the United States. So for those of you overseas, you already have my apologies but some of you have really, really good beer over there. So um, the reason it's focused on the United States is just based on shipping and, and time, of course. But for the Untapped Virtual Festival, it's, it's set up to be in the middle of June. And I think Harris and I are going to be able to join um, and at least kind of uh, follow along and drink along with you guys kind of as uh, MCs, if you will, if you're able to watch the show the basic way that it's set up is it's still going to be ticketed, just like a regular beer festival. Greg Avola is going to be doing kind of a tasting of each of the beers that are available for the festival. There's going to be 11 beers in total. It's a Saturday and Sunday session, and Greg's got uh, people like Terrence Romero, who is the production manager for McKellar. Um, and, um, I think, uh, who else come in? Joe Turco from Sloop Brewing. So they're all kind of, these breweries are submitting a beer that you'll be able to receive through the festival, drink along with Greg and someone from the brewery, a brewer, production manager, uh, marketing person, who knows somebody from the brewery is going to be there to kind of talk through that beer with Greg. And there's some pretty, uh, I'm, I'm really excited about uh, Paul Pignatero who's coming from Decadent Ales. They're bringing a banana macadamia fudge beer. It's about 12%, but you can bet that Harrison and I have good plans mm. for drinking that one ourselves. Um, Harrison, anyone you're particularly excited about? Yeah, so uh, Fiddlehead Brewing Company is going to be involved in this, and they're bringing their Fiddlehead IPA, which is one of the uh, IPAs brewed by kind of one of those sought after breweries in New England I haven't had yet. So I'm really excited 
to um, hear Matt Cohen, the owner and brewer, talk about it, um, enjoy it with him virtually and uh, and kind of check that off my list because it's been something I've just sort of talked about again and again, especially from my friends who are still brewing up there. It's just like a great, if you can find it all the time, a great go-to beer that uh, I'm pumped to, to check out. It's going to be a blast. I'm really excited to uh, kind of MC this festival with Harrison and see um, some of uh, the Northeast. I think it's focused in the Northeast uh, beers, brewers, and, and literally brewers talking about the beers they've made. I'm I'm really excited to drink through that. If you're able to check out the links in the show notes, you'll be able to purchase a ticket uh, for the stream of the show and follow along, watch along with us on Saturday and Sunday, June 13th and 14th. Uh, we'll be right back. We got a quick message from Untapped. We're coming back with another MyBach, and we're going to close out the show with you. Thanks for listening. Want to show off your love of Untapped? Check out our online store and pick up Untapped branded glassware, shirts, sweatshirts, hats, more. Depending on how hot or cold you are, go to store.untapped.com and enter the coupon code podcast when you check out. That'll get 20% off anything you order. That's store.untap.com. Use the coupon code podcast, 20% off for you. Plus, it lets them know that you guys are listening, and we love that here. All right. Now we're coming back for beer number two, which I'm really excited about. I've already mentioned collaborations a couple of times. Today, got another one in front of us. John, uh, what is next? What do we got here? So this one I've never had and embarrassingly, I've never heard of, even though it still rates in the top 10 on Untapped in terms of my box. This one's Glory is Golden Bach, mm. and it's made by Burial. It's a collaboration with Zillacoa out of Asheville area. Um, so it's same style beer, 6% alcohol, 30 IBUs. Um, Glory is a destination. You can tell this is written by Burial. <laughs> Glory is a destination for those who follow the gospel. Right. It gives hearken voice to the apostles of beverage. Those who remind us that taste is an amalgamation of tradition and revival. So we got together with our friends down the river, Zillicoa Beer Co., to forge an often drinkable yet full-flavored lager. Inspired by the Hellsbach-styled golden lagers of Germany, we decided to tip a hat to the regional American brewers that breathe new life into those styles in the new world, Glory was made from German barley, noble hops, and forged through a full decoction before lagering to crystalline perfection. Fully aged, never sacrificed. Uh, Burial does such an amazing job with their artwork, with their with their beer descriptions. It's almost uh, poetry reading through them. But you also learn a little bit about the story of this beer. So. Uh, uh, we could argue probably a more, maybe a more modern or a more American take on this style of beer. Although, uh, Harrison, what's the deal with Zillacoa? We know they're out of Asheville, but uh, anything particularly important to know about them? Yeah, so they, yeah, they specialize in uh, open fermented lagers and open fermented farmhouse uh, beers, which is pretty wild to, first of all, specialize in open fermented everything, anything, but then have those two beers which are radically different um, styles of beer rather beer worlds um, and under the same roof and kind of all breathing the same air it's uh it must be pretty wild to manage but i've had a fair a few of their beers before and they've all been really really great so i'm looking forward to 
um, to see what they cooked up with burial here today um, in this style that I've already said I really enjoy the heck out of. The only major differences from a package standpoint, this one is mm -hmm. served or packaged in a can yep. uh, where we have Red Oaks 1516 packaged in a bottle. True. Red Oaks been bottling forever. Right. I believe they just started canning their most popular uh, Red Oak uh, Amber Lager. Mm -hmm. um, but otherwise, I'm excited to crack this open and, and see what we've got here. Harrison. Yeah, let's do it. Mm, there it is. Little sound bite there. Ooh. I'm switching the first. Uh, the first uh, Maybach I drank was out of uh, like a, like a tall, I call it a European pint glass. Um, this one I'm drinking out of a tulip. The st the style asks for a I goblet, which is not something that I have available, but mm. now all of a sudden really want. Mm. Um, I feel like a Stein works just as well, or a half liter. Yeah, guy. I don't I don't know as though I would ever turn down a beer because it was served in the wrong vessel. But as we have spoke about in the past, sometimes uh it's better served uh when you when you have a vessel that's this geared for the specific beer you're sure. drinking, whether it, I think it's mainly olfactory mm -hmm. uh when when something like that is able to lend a benefit to it. What's the nose on this beer, Harrison? Is it any different than fifteen, sixteen? Absolutely, yeah. So right away um, for me, the honey kind of comes through in the nose and it's like almost like a, it smells like a clover, like a darker honey. There's like a, instead of that, like light, I guess, kind of brighter, almost yellow honey. I'm thinking the one in the plastic teddy bear you see, uh, see on the shelves. This one <laughs> seems like dark and a little more this mysterious. Is, this is one shelf above mm -hmm. right, right. the plastic <laughs> teddy bear honey. Hmm. For me, it's um, yeah, it's it's a little bit less heavy or syrupy in the in the nose, um, but I still get. I'm judging by the look on your face, Harrison. I'm about to have a new experience. Um, the nose is is cousins similar, um, but this one's just for me. It, it comes off less aggressive, right? And it drinks. It's very interesting. Oh, it's like. Polished is the first word that comes to mind, and that is not a beer descriptor. Right. Um, I got to come back for some more. This is different as all the beers we always taste. Every single <laughs> beer in the world is That's different. Right. Otherwise, they would they would just have the same right. can and name. Right. But there's something uniquely different about this, and I can't put my finger on it yet. Mm. It's almost so the body right away. So the the body's different. It almost feels more. Man, I don't want to more. It's it's more full bodied, or it's differently full bodied. I don't know. You're right. It's kind of tough. It's it's also there's not as much kind of cracker in the back end, but I'm getting more hop uh, profile out of this. Definitely, like there is a on that second sip, you can't miss kind of, and even on the back of my tongue right now, that kind of nice herbal bitterness you get from German noble hops. It's not a hoppy beer. That's something else we should probably, or in, an overly bitter beer at all. I mean, it's 30 IBUs. So we should definitely, you're not going to, it's not an IPL. The, the flavor of the hops, but not right. the alpha right. bitter it's acids not, of the It's not hops. like an overwhelming thing at all. It's just this one note that's unique. I think it's very unique to this style of beer. It's not like a Pilsner that could be really hoppy, but also a lager. This one is very, very smooth. It's not as sweet in the front. Um, 
This one, as I as I sip on it, this is this one uh, comes off where I could I could see myself going through uh, a four, five, six pack of these. This seems more like a festival beer. There the you go. Big difference that I'm that I'm starting to pick up on is the the carbonation. Like I'm getting medium, uh, kind of like fast moving uh, carbonation on this beer that just helps the the tasting journey is a little bit shorter on this one it's like three steps and then it's clean uh where the red oak one was just a it was lingering um both are good but in this case the carbonation on this gives me gives me want for more yeah that's a good i mean it's it's got this awesome kind of golden can to it harkening back to we call grandfather beers or your dad's beer or something like that. It kind of invites. Uh, it's got a, a ram uh, on the old, nice ram yeah, on the label. Big old ram out there gasping for air, whatever it's doing. Some gruesome, awesome burial thing. Um, um, and then really, yeah. So this is yeah. Well said about the. the it, it tastes almost like a fest beer. It is. Uh, it's about the same color, though a little hazier than the. Um, a little bit haze of haze to it. Uh, than the yep less less yeah. translucent, but it's like right. There's like that. It has one of the notes I get from an Oktoberfest, like, and that's probably the yeast jumping in there and the noble hops all coming together. And you know, that's a song and dance that once you have it once, you kind of every time you hear it, you recognize it. Um, so it's there a little bit. It's but it's definitely not a darker, um, as dark as a Oktoberfest or a Marzen or a Fest beer, um, is. But it's yeah, it's right. It's very. Um, it kind of screams like well, right now. I'm thinking like football. It, right. It's, it feels like I could sit down and drink a couple of these and and just have some meat off a grill somewhere and be satisfied all day. It is a yeah, it's very drinkable. A, like a slightly drier, um, which is something which is something I never thought I would have. In wine, that's a no for me, but in beer, it just means easily repeatable. I guess um, you, I think you nailed it. It's the same color, problem, cl- similar SRM um, in terms of its 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 darkness, but um, but hazier. You can't you can't read through this one. Um, there was another thing you mentioned uh, in the in the description in, in fully emblazoned on the can. They uh, they they both fully aged, never sacrificed. Is that uh, this is something I'm not aware of, Harrison? Do you know if 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 my box have like a particular? Every lager takes longer to make than an ale for the most part, but. Is that something that's part of yeah. uh, the tradition of the history, where they yeah, would usually- the history of it for sure. So the brewers in Einbeck, where this all began, really kind of um, prided themselves in how, I guess, um, uh, specific and precise they were with their brewing. And they would only brew this in the colder months when it could be properly lagered in nice, dark, cold caves um, for the entire winter. So for like three months um, plus, and then enjoyed three four months, um, and then enjoyed um, in the uh, in the um, in the spring in the uh, towards the end of April. So there is no like um, industry standard for a Maybach is more lagered longer than a you know Hellas lager or less than a Doppelbach, nothing like that. 
Um, but certainly the history of this beer is, you know, you, you got to sit on it. And again, that's all that I think what they're probably just referring to is that it's a lager and that it, it, it's been fully lagered. It's been, it's sat as long as it should have sat to taste what we want it to taste. And I trust both those breweries to know uh, exactly what that is. And that's a lot of this is a lot of, a lot of it's touch and go. In fact, for our lager program, that's what it was is you would, are we would lager our beers usually between like 27 and 35 days in just the lagering tanks. And it was based on how they were, how they tasted and if they're ready to go or not. Um, so, um, uh, and then a couple other factors we jump under the microscope and look at too, but it was really kind of like this guy's tasting like it's time to go. Let's get it out there. Um, was really the, the founding factor, not a specific day. Uh, you kind of know it when you get there. So aside from you painting this beautiful picture of like some uh, Germanic brewmaster who's just like, who is a science equipment tasting <laughs> right. beers and knowing that they're ready and it's going to rain tomorrow. Right. <laughs> uh, one question on beer number two, this is a, this is a truth about my life on beer number two, wherever I am, whatever day it is, I start thinking about food. <laughs> um, I've already got, uh, in my eyes, the perfect accompaniment to this beer, mm. Harrison, mm. but I, in true John fashion, I'm going to put you on the spot. And, uh, so if we had another one of these, we had to drink through, we had to, right. <laughs> if we, if we had another one of these that we had to drink through, yeah. What's your what's your plate of grub to go with uh, a Maybach? This one or fifteen sixteen? Yeah. What do you see accompanying this? Well, I mean, I tell you, I had so many, so much bratwurst, basically a big old bratwurst, maybe with some um, when I, at the goat races, big old bratwurst with some spicy mustard, some onions on it, some peppers, like give me that and a soft pretzel and push me in front of the polka stage and, and, you know, pick me up tomorrow morning. I'll see you later. That's, that is, uh, that would, I'll punch that ticket, you know, seven days a week. So this is, um, that's what I would think of right away. Something again, smoked meat, but a food for the hand. So as the accordion solo picks up, I can kind of move my brat and my beer accordingly and not have to slow down uh, at all. What about, what about you, John? What do you, what are you percolating? Is anything jumping around up there? so true it's a beautiful picture of being at a goat race <laughs> with a bratwurst in one right. hand and a, a beer sign in the other just celebrating right. spring and all the delicious right. fruits and right. vegetables that are happy coming. my later hosen um, still fits from the year before the true measure of a successful winter is when the later hosen slips right back on with enough straps <laughs> it'll <laughs> Um, for me, this is, this is, uh, maybe it's hunger, but again, <laughs> I think we live in a world where, uh, anything can be a right answer if you try hard enough. True. And this, this beer is ham and Swiss mm. sandwich. Um, it, it's a sandwich And since we're talking about a beer of German origin, I'd prefer to put it on rye yep. bread. Um, but I think you could get away with almost anything. There's been a lot of sourdough going on on the internet mm -hmm. since COVID happened um, there's nothing wrong with that. The important part is like good ham. Don't sell yourself right. short. Look for one that's a little bit thicker. Right. Um, get a get a one if you're if you're so inclined. Maybe two pieces of Swiss cheese. Oh, yeah. Hit it on a skillet for a second, um, and then just finish it. Put a little bit of like German that that good mustard mm. where you still get the seeds yep. in there. Yep. It's kind of spicy. Yep. If you're averse to horseradish, this is a great way to dip your toe in that yeah. water. 
Um, mm. And then come back for a sip of this Maybach. And if you're not able to get this Maybach, it's still May. Uh, find a Hellas Lager. Right. Find a Maybach uh, near you. And it's a, probably a good way to find your way to a traditional German style brewer. There's not as many of them as there are American craft brewers here in the States, but if you can find somebody that's making a Maybach like this, there's a good chance you'll be very good friends with them come September. Right. Uh, once we get into the, the big Oktoberfest season as that's well. Right. This is a good precursor. If they know how to handle the Maybach, then the Oktoberfest is probably going to knock you out. But yeah, this is the more I drink it, the more it Right. It's, it's very, there's something about it. It may actually remind me a bit of the, the Oktoberfest that we used to brew. There's like that they must be using the same. It's, it's bready. It's got like that nice bread, crackery biscuit thing happening. It's coming out more now as I drink it. And, oh man, that's so, with this kind of body, it's just, it's great. It's just like, it's like a meal in itself. But again, I'll take, I'll dip the bratwurst right in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing wrong with what sandwich you choose to get through your beers. Um, but there is something wrong with the next segment. Uh, would you rather? Mm. Um, there's always something wrong with this because <laughs> it's impossible. It's designed to be hard to choose. Right. Um, my box being a definitively seasonal beer. The question that I want to pose for Harrison is, would you rather always and only drink seasonal beers or never ever be able to drink seasonal beers Ooh. there's a lot riding on this and there's some granularity if we really dig hmm. in but effectively we're talking about seasonal beers which would be great in terms of culinary things it's always fresh and in season but you have to forego you know the kind of the core beers uh, or the other yeah, all the right the pumpkin beers all year long. So, as a man who sits here with a fridge ninety percent full of IPAs, I give pause to saying goodbye to them forever and only drinking Oktoberfests and my box and pumpkin beers and man, I guess fresh hop IPAs and, and things like that. Uh, but I I feel. Especially as I kind of grow older and my cardigan collection grows and other natural things that happen as you you age on this world, that as much as I love an IPA, I I don't think I could walk away from Oktoberfest at all. Like a, a Marzen is such a that time of year for me is like it's Christmas comes early and and I try to make those beers last as long as I can and stock up on them and drink them all, you know, from September through the end of the year, um, if not longer. So that alone would make me happy, I guess, forever. Forever is a long time. But, um, you know, it's yeah, again, it's I'm sitting here after this. I'll probably drink an IPA or two. Um, and that's always my go to. But. Not so much that I could leave something like this, events like the goat races at Sly Fox or the Oktoberfests all over the world and um, behind. So I'm going to go with seasonals all the time. Bring on the pumpkin beers as well. I'm all for it. Um, we've certainly had a lot of them here 
good ones uh in past shows so i'm cool with that i've i've you know i'm okay if i every once a year get a fresh hop ipa i'll just overdo it then and return back to the dark lagering caves of germany and live there forever <laughs> what what about what, what about you john what are you where is your mind wandering with this another this mind puzzle we've got in front of us today well, I'll tell you what, Harrison, I think it's for me, it's always a matter of kind of uh, pardon the devil that you know mm-hmm. or the devil that you mm-hmm. don't. And uh, for me, I, you know, I've lived 37 years, mm-hmm. which sometimes seems like a whole life. <laughs> um, sometimes it feels like I know nothing. Right. But what I do know is that for a long period of my life, IPA was was the most exciting thing you could tell me about beer. And, you know, after I drank three or four, I would go back to, you know, like a wit or a, a blonde or anything else to, to change my palate. And it's the same. You know, I say the word cheeseburger and immediately, you know, 500 of you listening are thinking about where can I get the closest cheeseburger, myself included. But if you had a cheeseburger for lunch, dinner tomorrow lunch tomorrow dinner by the next day you don't want a cheeseburger you want a salad or anything else in the world (laughs) and i think i can make my decision just based off of that logic while i know for sure drinking seasonal beers for two years uh i would find myself just like i would do anything for a two-hearted um or like one, you know, one of the core beers that I've that I've grown so fond of, especially during this kind of like quarantine at home, where I'm I find myself drinking nostalgia a lot. But the beauty of seasonal beers is that it, you know you, you don't have time to get tired of them. Yes, pumpkin season begins a little bit early and ends a little too soon. Um, but there's by the time you're kind of over that hump, there's you know the next thing. It's hard to define seasonal beers for me. There's not necessarily like a seasonal IPA that you can count on. Harrison was kind enough to remind me that wet hops would qualify uh, as a seasonal. And I'm okay with that ruling because otherwise I just envision like Oktoberfest, pumpkin beer, winter warmer. (laughs) I don't know what happens. Uh, my back and then a long wait until pumpkin beers. I'm not sure what I get to drink in the middle. Uh, but even 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 not a perfect selection is better than no selection in my mind. Not to discount the perfect, you know, like classic examples of styles, but I always want something to compare them yeah. to. So anytime you force me to choose, I'll I'll one I'll choose the one that gives me more options, whether they're good or bad. Yeah, right. How about it? How about it? I don't have a clever sign off after that, but um, if any of you know where we can get a good cheeseburger or have a picture <laughs> yeah. of a good cheeseburger, um, keep your eyes out, especially if you're thinking about joining us for the virtual festival. Yes. I'm pretty sure Harrison has some kind of card up his sleeve with a food related necklace or who knows what's coming. Maybe. Lots of cards, lots of sleeves. Busy guy, busy guy. Way more than 52 in this deck. But that's a story for another time, a riddle for another night. <laughs> another episode about why we can't go to Vegas. <laughs> that's right. We're the whole state Thanks of Nevada. Thanks so much for... Right. No more riverboat <laughs> casinos for me. Son of a gun. <laughs> uh. 
Thanks so much for listening along. Episode 11 featured the Maybach and the history of the Maybach with two great examples. Uh, episode 12 will be the next one you listen to. And stay tuned for updates on a walkthrough on how barley and yeasts and hops become beer. Right. Um, we'll be bringing and focusing on bringing you that for the rest of season three. Again, thanks for listening. If you're on YouTube, hit the subscribe button. If you're on iTunes or any of the other variety of podcast uh, sites, leave us a review. Let us know what you like or don't like or want to see more of. We'd be happy to oblige or join us on Facebook, of course. Otherwise, yeah, we'll see you in two weeks. Cheers. Cheers.